Asia-Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents here on Community Radio 3CR. It is nine o'clock. I'm Giselle Hanna and I'm taking you through to 9.30 this morning. A big thank you to Lali who finished up yet another great show of Solidarity Breakfast. Um, Coming up on Asia Pacific Currents today, of course, first up is going to be news from around the region, but our feature interview in the second part of the program is a conversation between myself and one of AAWL's organisers, Manrico Morrow. Manrico is actually one of the vice chair people of Australia Asia Worker Links. We've been talking to you quite a bit about some of the work that we're doing around this concept called the global picket line. And as we've mentioned on our various solidarity visits, we've taken this concept to our comrades in in the Philippines, in Indonesia, in India, in Malaysia, uh, and most recently in Japan. So what we're going to do in the second part of the program is I'm going to talk a little bit about what the concept is. How do you do international solidarity from a conceptual framework? Is it even possible to organise that way? Or do you need to start with an idea, a theory, and actually put it into practice? So... We, Australia Asia Worker Links, are sharing with you, our listeners and our supporters, some of the conceptual frameworks behind the international solidarity work that we're doing. So that is the second part of the show. Um, Of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you do want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. You can ring us on 9663-7277. We're on Facebook and Twitter and you can find us on those social media platforms because we post a lot of um, information we don't have time to cover on this radio program about uh, trade union activities right across the Asia Pacific region. But time now for news from around the region. And we're going to start in India. We've mentioned to you um, that there was a general strike in India yesterday, in fact. The second, uh, or is today the fourth? No, today is the third. So it was yesterday. (laughs) Yesterday, Friday, the 2nd of September, there was a massive general strike in India. Um, the, the numbers that I've got are conflicting, as always. Uh, one of the most extraordinary figures I saw was 18 crore. Um, and for those of you who don't know what measure, what unit that is, crore, spelt C-R-O-R-E, that, is, uh, uh, that refers to 10 million. So one of the stats that I read was that there were 18 crores, so 180 million workers on the street. I'm not sure that that's true, but just so you know, next week on the program, I will be speaking with Vasudhavan from the NTUI, the new trade union initiative in India, to get a proper report from him about what happened. But here is the story that is being reported so far. A nationwide strike by tens of millions of Indian public sector workers has been hailed by union officials as the world's largest ever industrial action, and it costs the economy up to 180 billion rupees, which is about 2 billion euros, and that's according to industry groups. 
Last-minute concessions by the Finance and Labor Ministries, including a 104-rupee rise in unskilled workers' daily minimum wage, could not ward off the strike against what unions said were the anti-worker and anti-people policies of Narendra Modi's government. State banks and power stations were shut and public transport was halted in some states on Friday and 20 protesters were arrested in West Bengal after allegedly damaging government buses police and that's according to police officials. Schools and colleges in Bangalore were closed as a precautionary measure and 4,200 buses sat idle in Haryana. Mumbai and Delhi avoided major disruptions, but surgeries were delayed at a major hospital in the capital while nurses demonstrated outside. Uh, Images broadcast on national Indian television showed protesters uh, blocking railway tracks and roads in Assam, uh, in Uttar Pradesh and Odisha. Among the trade union's 12 demands were a 692-rupee daily minimum wage, universal social security and a ban on foreign investment in the country's railway, insurance and defence industries. So we will get an update next week from some of our comrades in India about that general strike. Moving now to China, uh, two two leading Labor activists have been detained without trial for nine months in China following a massive crackdown on civil society Labor groups in Guangzhou uh, in early December last year. The director of the Panyu Workers Service Centre, that person's name is Zheng Feiyang, uh, he's been held since the 3rd of December in Guangzhou Detention Centre with severely restricted access to his lawyers. During that time, the authorities attempted to smear Zheng's name in the national media and harassed his elderly mother when she sought to sue those media organisations for defamation. Panyu staff member Meng Han has also been detained for nine months. He's refused to cooperate with the investigation into Zheng Feiyang and as a result, his parents have also been subjected to intimidation. They were forced to move homes this summer after thugs attacked their apartment door with an axe. The China Labor Bulletin has worked with the Panyu Centre for five years before the major crackdown against um, that organisation, which occurred in December last year. Every aspect of the organisation, that's the Panyu Centre, was known by the security authorities in Guangdong from the very outset. During those five years, the Panyu Centre emerged as a pioneer and a leader in enterprise collective bargaining in China. Staff helped workers to elect bargaining representatives and devise effective strategies that could bring obstinate employers to the bargaining table. The centre helped workers obtain nearly 200 million yuan in wages, layoff compensation, social insurance contributions and other benefits. So no wonder they're being targeted by Chinese officials. Now, uh, in Australia, just to bring you a couple of, uh, one update on, um, well, the CUB dispute, the sacked AMWU brewery members had a huge victory this week when the labour hire firm providing non-union workers, which took their jobs, withdrew from the CUB Abbotsford plant due to its inability to work with the management. Programmed maintenance threw in the towel after 11 weeks of failure after its fill-in fitters failed to raise beer production above a third of normal, leaving it facing millions of dollars in losses and legal action from the upset management of CUB. 
That leaves CUB, which hired programmed to reduce maintenance wages by up to 65%, struggling to find a new contractor or with the only sensible choice, which is to re-employ the sacked 55 maintenance experts on their previous paying conditions. AMWU Victorian State Secretary Steve Dargavel, he said that CUB was now isolated after being publicly exposed as the puppet master behind the whole strategy. You can support the CUB workers by joining the fitters and electricians when unions march on the Victorian State Parliament next Thursday. It's going to be a massive protest against that multinational brewer. So I'm going to give you those details, but of course you'll find them on AAWL's website. You'll find it on the ETU and the AMWU's websites as well. And in fact, most unions, uh, I don't think there's a single union at the moment that's not supporting this dispute. The demonstration is at 11am on Thursday, the 8th of September. The meeting at AFL House, which is at 140 Harbour Esplanade in the Docklands. And in Queensland, this is a dispute involving the CFMEU. Anglo-American has escalated the situation at their German Creek mine by advertising for a new workforce while existing employees conduct legal and protected industrial action. The mining giant has engaged labour hire company WorkPack to advertise for excavator operators to replace the striking workforce – with the firm resorting to cold calling known coal mine workers and offering them a sweetheart deal better than those offered to existing employees. Under the offer, the new contract workers are being offered $60 an hour plus an extra $2 an hour back pay if they stay on for three months, along with free accommodation and meals. The CFMEU and Energy Division Queensland District President Stephen Smythe said that bringing in industrial mercenaries shows just how little Anglo cares about their existing workforce. What an interesting tactic because really what this is about is bringing in these other workers on more money, ununionised workers, in order to break the union and then those wages are coming down, those conditions are coming down. So a sweetheart deal right at the start with the intention of smashing the organised workforce there. Moving now to the Philippines, the KMU has slammed the dismissal of LRT workers. LRT, so that's one of the railway, um, the, the light rail transit, which is one of the railways in the Philippines. National Labor Centre Kilusung Mail Uno led railroad and other industrial workers in a picket protest at the Department of Transport office to demand the reinstatement of the unjustly dismissed workers of the LRT. The Light Rail Manila Corporation dismissed 41 of its workers in June to make up for the government-run company's alleged losses due to unconfirmed ticket sales, which is being managed by private by a private company called the AF Payments Incorporation. The KMU says that the workers shouldn't be punished for the failures of LRT's private contractors. They argue that it was the private contractors and not the workers who failed to deliver efficient service that's resulted in the losses uh, for the LRT. The KMU, meanwhile, urged the Department of Transport Secretary... Uh, to order that the private company recall, or actually that the government recall the unjust and blatantly anti-worker dismissal order. 
The KMU also insisted that the government should rescind all onerous contracts with private big businesses in the country's railway system, which has not only resulted in such unjust dismissals and violations of workers' rights, but also to burdensome fare hikes and deterioration of services. In fact, uh, you might recall that um, at the end of 2014, the start of 2015, Korean um, workers went on strike around the privatisation of their railway services as well. So this, I mean, listeners, I'm I'm preaching to the converted, but um, these privatisation um, initiatives by governments are ultimately about reducing services for the public, reducing wages and conditions for the workers. And finally, uh, a bit. Of, uh, I wanted to bring a story from Thailand that's a little bit different from what we we often look at because we've been focusing on the coup and the crackdown on civil liberties and the reduction in space for activists to to raise demands. What I want to rate, what I want to do today is talk about another aspect of how repressive life is in Thailand at the moment. And in early August. Thai authorities cracked down, arrested and deported up to 10,000 Myanmar nationals working in the country. And that was a part of a crackdown on illegal immigrants. According to one of the officials from a Myanmar non-governmental organisation that helps migrant workers. Those arrested in the operation, led by the Thai army, work in markets, shopping malls and hotels. Some were sent to Thailand by employment agencies, so there are actually official migrant workers in Thailand. Most of the workers have work and residency permits, but they were arrested because the names of their workplaces and those of their bosses are different from the ones that the authorities have. And under Thai law, employers and workers can be arrested if those names and businesses don't match up. Uh, Only Myanmar workers were arrested in the operation. When Thai authorities arrest Myanmar nationals, they confiscate their Thai work permits and residency documents and transport them to towns such as um, uh, Miawadi, uh, sorry, comrades, Thai comrades out there that found that pronunciation hideous. Um, so the Miawadi Township in southeastern Myanmar's Kayin State and uh, Tachilek Township in eastern Myanmar's Shan State. That's where they go for deportation. At the border, they have to pay Thai officials about 1,000 to 2,000 baht in order to leave Thailand. But if the workers can't pay the fee, they have to work on the border, on, on the, so the, the guards that are based on the border, they have to work on their farms in order to raise the money to to affect their own deportation. So that happened uh, in August. That was just last month, that massive crackdown where 10,000 Myanmar workers were deported back to their country. That ends the news from around the region. It is 15 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. I'm going to go to, I'm actually going to play a track Um, which I rarely do on this show, but I think you'll like it. This song is called Workers United. It's by an Australian band called I-E-Y-E. Workers United, never be defeated. Workers United, will overcome. 
It is 18 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. Coming up now, I am speaking with one of AAWL's organisers, Manrico Morrow, about uh, some of our flagship work. You've heard a lot about the global picket line work that we've do- we've been doing, and we've reported to you, our listeners, about some of our international visits where we've shared this concept. So what we're doing today is we're directly sharing this concept with you so that you know what this organisation's doing. Good morning, Manrico, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Giselle. Hello. Hello. I guess the first thing I'm going to get you to do is explain very broadly what is Global Picket Line. I'm sure listeners can kind of figure it out and put it together, and certainly we've been speaking about it a lot. But can you summarise what it means? Yes. Um, very, very briefly, Global Picket Line is uh, looking at union organising and recognising that the economy is uh, in, in the world is global. And there are a lot of companies that have a global production and global distribution and global sales. And those companies are truly massive, like mining companies, electrical companies, um, 
manufacturing companies like cars and planes and so on, and for food companies. And so it is an understanding that when those companies are making their plans, um, they they are looking at at the at the world. So they look not only um, where they can sell things, but also where they can manufacture things most cheaply. So where the workers are cheaper, where the conditions for organizing are worse, where the um, governments are more helpful to companies and also more um, less helpful to workers organizing for better wages and conditions. And so Global Picket Line tries to look at the world in that way and say, well, how can workers organized in unions um, fight back at a global level against the companies? I guess one of the biggest issues that faces the left or trade union organisers anywhere is how do you go from these concepts? Um, so not just what you've talked about, but also, you know, what the old books say, the way that Lenin and others talked about how to organise. How do you go from a theory to practice? Because international solidarity isn't just theoretical and we can talk about it for forever and ever. And I guess one of the questions as well is, is the concept of global picket line at risk of remaining just that, a concept? Um, it, is, it is absolutely not just a concept. I mean, in reality, workers' struggle is a response to the attacks on the workers. So it is, it is completely practical. And in the reality, even though uh, probably very small percentage of the workers' movement thinks in terms of an international struggle, and they mainly look at a local struggle and a national struggle, that there is this level of international struggle. And I can give a practical example, if you like, to show how this just happens in practice. Um, so, for example, uh, probably all the listeners will know about the CUB dispute at Carlton and United Breweries happening in Richmond, where the 55 maintenance workers were sacked um, now many weeks ago now, in fact, on the on the 9th of June. Um, they were sacked by CUB, but actually CUB is um, Sat Miller, which is a gigantic beer-making company, um, which which is ev- almost everywhere in the world. Now, um, the, the maintenance workers were sacked on the 9th of June, but Sat Miller um, actually merged with another gigantic company called AB InBev, um, on the 27th of May. And on the 27th of May, there was the final approval by the European Union that they could merge because, like, there's monopoly rules and all this. And so they became a huge company. And on the 14th of June, the IUF, the International Union of Food and Manufacturing Unions, had a meeting in Istanbul um, to discuss, um, is this going to be affecting workers? And, of course, as they were having the meeting, um, Sat Miller in Richmond was sacking their workers. And in fact, um, for their meeting, the IUF did what um, what AWL is, is doing with Global Picket Line. That is, they did a um, company mapping and um, union mapping exercise looking at Sat Miller. And they found that Sat, the new Sat Miller, that is the combined AB InBev and Sat Miller company, had now... 364 manufacturing sites across the world, of which 173 were unionized. And then they talked about, you know, we have to work together to try to defend the workers. And then they looked at all the unions that were in in these different um, companies and look at how they were going to be defending the workers. And they issued a declaration, unbeknown to them, I think, at exactly the same time uh, Sat Miller was beginning the attack in Richmond. So the the reality is we, we have... 
we have this international fight. Now it is up to us to actually organise in a clever way to fight the company. Well, I mean, the way that you just talked about it kind of suggested that workers, and in fact you you did say it, we, we are fighting internationally. At some point we are making these connections. In that case, why is it necessary to to... I guess, spread the word about something like global picket line. Isn't it natural um, and instinctive to workers to organise this way? No, it is, it is not directly natural and instinctive. The first reason it is not is because all the propaganda that comes from virtually 100% of the information channels in the world, which are controlled by capitalists, do not give us the information and the kind of ideas to be able to make these connections naturally. In fact, the, the propaganda is, and the information, the way that the news is received, is, is directly to counter that. And in fact, the, the capitalist media makes very clear decisions to try to avoid workers being able to make those decisions. One clear example is that Trades Hall is doing a campaign here in Melbourne to support the CUB maintenance workers. So they've got, you know, the, there is a big ad on, a big banner on Trades Hall saying boycott CUB beer. Now, the Electrical Trade Union made an ad for the, the Herald Sun and other newspapers to say the same thing, you know, which is part of freedom of speech, part of campaigning and so on. And and the Herald Sun newspaper refused to publish that ad. So they refused to take the money and publish the ad so that the other workers would not be able to come up with those ideas. So it is really, really important that we provide information. As, as a group of union activists, it is important that we provide information and say we really have to organize in that way. And also, um, it, even if you think like this, even if you think workers should organize internationally, that is just a concept. We need to have the information of how do we organize internationally. So, like, for example, which union in Argentina do we contact to, um, to help uh, spread, to, to help make contact with the submiller workers there? Which union in Honduras do we contact to actually make contact with the submiller workers there? So there's a lot of practical organizing that is necessary. It is not just a question of saying workers of the world unite and we unite, then how do we make the phone calls, the email, the Facebook to actually unite? And then once we are uniting, what kind of, of, what kind of events do we organize to actually put pressure on the companies? For example, this Thursday in Melbourne, there is going to be the rally in support of uh, the CUB workers. However, it, if we are going to increase that level of support from Melbourne to other places, clearly we need to contact other workers in other countries and say, you know, we are rallying in Melbourne. How about you have a support rally or a Facebook group or something happening to, to, do, to put more pressure on the company? We've only got about a minute to go. And in that time, I wanted to ask you, what has the reception been to this idea from AAWL's partners across the region? Is it being rejected? Are people saying, oh, no, this is just rubbish. It's, it's too much work. What we're doing works. Or is there a different response? No, there's a different response. There's very, very much support. The issue is that it is actually complex to set up. So we are trying to set up effectively what are global picket line information offices in different countries where people can be connected and then work together to spread this information better. Like, you know, we have this IUS document mapping Sat Miller and mapping the unions in Sat Miller, but now how do we move this information into all the unions and to the groups of activists? So the, the practicalities are actually quite hard, but there is a great level of interest uh, from the people we have contacted.
Manrico, thank you so much for your time and for coming in and sharing some of AOWL's work with the listeners. Thank you very much. That was Manrico Morrow. He's one of the organisers in AAWL, talking about our, our actually our flagship work at the moment, which is this global picket line concept and transforming that from an idea into a practical reality. I wanted to also announce that AAWL is having another film fundraiser on September the 12th. That's a Monday. Uh, 6 o'clock for a 6.30 start. And we're screening the Battle of Algiers. All of these fundraisers are basically to maintain AAWL's campaigns and activities, including this pivotal piece of work, which is the Global Picket Line. Later in the year, um, I, me and another comrade from AAWL will be travelling to India um, to attend a conference but also to speak to workers there. You might remember the Suzuki workers that we've been supporting but uh, in that work to also continue to develop this global picket line um, well concept but the practical reality of it. So we really do need some financial support. International solidarity is very, very expensive. Again, that is um, Monday, September the 12th at Long Play, which is in which is 318 St George's Road in North Fitzroy. We're screening the Battle of Algiers and we'll have a, a keynote uh, address by Lionel Bopagi, who is a long-standing activist from Sri Lanka, to talk about these general uh, national liberation struggles and what tactics uh, are used that could be effective. So that'll be the introduction to the movie. So hang around, meet some of our organisers, find out what kind of organisation we are and the work that we do. And by all means, if you're interested, get involved. That does bring us to the end of Asia Pacific Currents for this morning. Thank you for listening. Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Jump on our website to read all of the news um, and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region in relation to workers organising across Asia. Coming up next is Asia Calling, but we'll be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.